Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Coast to Coasties podcast. We are back for our second part of the two-part episode with SK2 Sean Hurley. And in this episode, we're going to talk about his rate, which is storekeeper. We have not done a storekeeper conversation on here yet, so he's our first storekeeper on the podcast. Yay! And we are doing this as a transition from his prior military service episode, which we covered in the last one. So this is the after, I'd say, post-boot camp portion of it. So we're going to start talking about that stuff and just roll right from where we left off. So... Welcome back, SK2. Our whiskey glasses are full again. Uh, you and over here and cheers me, please, my good sir. Thank yes, you very much. Please. I have been looking forward to having the second glass of whiskey with you. Oh, yes. There because. could be a third. There might be a third. <laughs> well, we just have so many good topics to talk about, you know, but mm-hmm. I think what I'm most excited about this one is that this holds a really special little place near and dear to my heart because for so long, I considered when I joined the Coast Guard being a storekeeper. Yeah, and I mean, you should. I did a lot. <laughs> So part of the reason I started this podcast was because when I looked into the rates, they had info on the Reddit. They had little one-minute videos on the Go Coast Guard website. Yep. But they didn't have comprehensive conversations with people who had done the rate. And I looked everywhere on YouTube and podcasts, and I just couldn't find that stuff. And there's nothing better than going to the deck plate, going to the actual source and hearing it from them. Right, exactly. So what I hope to provide this episode is... The ability to let anyone know who wants to be a storekeeper or has that interest. Yes, yeah. To be able to hear it directly from you so they can hear the actual experience of a storekeeper and what life is like. Because you, especially, you're a cutterman. Yes, yes. So Very to, rare in my rating. To be a cutterman, you have to serve five years on a cutter in the United States Coast Guard. And what SK2 has done is he's taken a rate that is, how much percent of your rate would you say is shoreside? Oh, I mean... Anecdotally, um, 85% maybe, you know. So you only have about 15% of seagoing billets. And yeah, this is, a, this is a rough estimate. It could be closer to 80-20, but it's not like a big... I've only seen four SKs ever have accumulated five, at least five years of... Not nearly as balanced. Yeah, yeah, not, not, not nearly as balanced Right, as so all. quite an accomplishment to become a cutterman as an SK. Yeah, so, I mean, if you're determined to do it, you can do it, you know. Right, so he has the experience of shoreside units and cutter units, so he can give you a complete picture. So, without further ado, I'll do enough talking here. SK2, could you yes. take us from boot camp and tell us how you shape to become an SK? So walk me through, you arrive at Cape May, mm-hmm. you're going through boot camp. Yep. What was your mindset going through boot camp in terms of, okay, now I'm in the Coast Guard, I just had this whole career in the Army behind me, but now I'm here in the Coast Guard. I don't know what I want to do yet, or did you have an idea? Um, I did have an idea of what I want to do because I was researching the rates and, you know, as discussed in the previous podcast, I have a, you know, as an infantryman in the army, I have a passion for firearms. I wanted to be a gunner's mate. That was going to be, you know, obviously I was going to you know give myself some time. And one thing I really liked about the Coast Guard is that they give you some time to decide what rate it is. But I figured, you know, besides the whole, like, after I went through the whole travesty of having to go through boot camp all over again, which was hilarious. After that was done, I was all about, I wanted to start my career as fast as possible. I didn't know about long A school waits at that time. You know, it sounds crazy to people nowadays because, you know, you're waiting months, not years for like the best rates or, you know, the rates that lots of people want to go that are like very long lists. Like, I mean, Jesus, I mean, SK was four years when I first, like you can, you weren't going to go to A school for four years. 
if you put your name on the SKA school is you were going to go to YN school. You weren't going to go to OSA school for like three years. OS? Yeah, it was really... BM was three years. NK was three years. Um, ME was four. The incentive at that time was to go to Bahrain. So you went to Bahrain, your name would go to the head of the A school list. So lots of people would fight for Bahrain billets so that they can go to the top of the A school list, especially a lot of people that were like maritime enforcement specialists. Like, you know, they had aspirations to be in that rate. That's what they would do. So it was a very different environment. But yeah, I wanted to be in GM. SK did not really occur to me. I mean, I saw the supply guys in the army and I thought, hey man, that'd be a really cool job. And I liked how they like this could negotiate with people and stuff and get stuff done. Like, I like that, but that wasn't a thing that I actually considered. I wanted to be a gunner's mate. Well, the thing is, too, is that, like, now, so these long races, you're saying, are six months wait. <laughs> and so... That's insane. In boot camp, the I would first have week, for that. they let us look at the list <laughs> and see how long the wait times are. <laughs> and people were complaining MST was 12 to 15 months, the longest rate. 12 people would have, like, given up parts of their body to go MST at, like, 12, 15 months when I first enlisted. That was four years minimum. <laughs> so, okay, you want to be a gunner's mate. Yep, yeah. So you're going through boot camp class. You have the opportunity to shoot at the range. They yeah. They take you to the range in Atlantic City, right? But it was kind of interesting because we didn't actually shoot. They, like, loaded them up with, like, basically air. It was, like... Like, these were actual, like, SIG P229s, but with, like, it was some weird type of air contraption. Like, they didn't, it was budget cuts or something like that. We were shooting, like, air. It was, like, I couldn't believe it. And, like, it was, again, and our qualification was just, like, this green screen. You know, it was, it was wild. And people were, like, oh, God, I did so good. I'm, like, dude, you didn't even fire the weapon. Because it was nothing like actually shooting a firearm. So it was pretty wild. It was it was nuts. Well, I was gonna say we went through. We just shot like actual firearms at the targets, and we had the whole range yep. at the uh, with the air marshal training school. I yeah, at that time, there. yeah, we we there was a range, but at that time they like the GMs were very very upset that they couldn't instruct us in actual live fire, but which was wild to me that we weren't instructed in live fire, but we weren't. That, that's what it was at that time. That was um, that was a you know budget cut coast guard. Okay, so you went through boot camp, and I've talked to other people on here. They say, you know, you dream she'd halfway through boot camp, and so about week four or five, you put down where you'd like to go. So what influenced your decisions to where you put on your dream sheet as to as much influence as you could? Um, I wanted to um, primarily just return to New England. I wanted to spend time closer to my family. You know, I'm you know from Massachusetts, you know, Western Mass, like... Um, very, uh, very, you know, New England born and bred type of kid. And I had spent all these years, you know, the last, from when I was 18 to like 25, I had spent the last seven years abroad, right? So I was ready to spend some time with my family or be close to my family. You know what I mean? So I was just like, I was like, literally send me anywhere in New England is all I really cared about. I didn't care what unit, whatever. I'd figure it out afterwards. I don't want to be too picky. Well, okay, so you put down, did you have any guaranteed districts or anything? Because I know they do a lot of that now, is they guarantee a region that you want to go to. No, there was no guarantees. It okay. was just a preference. Like, where would you like to go? It was like District 1, District 11, and we had to rank them in order. So, well, I was District 1, obviously, for people that aren't aware of, District 1 encompasses the entirety of New England. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So, District 1 was my number one. I think my second one, if I can remember right, was D7. Thought Florida might be kind of fun. So, okay, so you ended up. Where'd you end up getting stationed after? 
as a non-rate. <laughs> it's pretty wild. I got one of the dream, like those unicorn non-rate billets. I went to base Boston to serve in the S to be in the SK office, like the storekeeper office. Like, and I was like, they're basically like the non-rate and it was supposed to be a male position, but instead I ended up, uh, like basically being in like an SK position where I was ordering and doing stuff like that. Like processing mill strips, which is like basically ordering like items that the government already has on stock. So essentially your role was going to be pick up the packages for the SKs It was supposed to be, but the chief that was running it at that time, uh, a great man, SKC Nelson Diaz, uh, I used to call him the SK Sensei. Like this dude, I was the last person that ever struck SK after, after and I'll, we'll talk about that later on, what the striking process was. It's now defunct, but I wish it wasn't, but we can cross that bridge later on. But yeah, so I went there and I was getting ready. I was like, you know what? I want to put my name on the A-School list. And I was all set to do it. And then medical said no, because it turns out I am actually colorblind. Now, when I joined the army, they said I was, wasn't. Maybe I just guessed right. I don't know. That's how I was able to be an infantryman. But I wanted to be a gunner's mate in the Coast Guard. And in order to be a gunner's mate, you have to have normal color vision, which I do not possess, unfortunately. Now, I think... I have my own personal feelings about that, but it was what it was. I had them test me again, still no dice. So then I had to look at the active rates that were around me and what I could do. And, you know, YN, MST, CS, DC, SK. Those are really like your only truly options. So people that are listening to this that are color deficient, and just know that your 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 options are going to be a little bit more narrow than for other people that aren't. No. Do I think it's right? No, but it is what it is. That's policy. So I thought to myself, DCs, that's kind of cool. You know, you get to learn how to weld. You get, it's a good jack of all trades um, type of thing. But I'm not exactly the most handy guy in the world. And I'm gonna, it's going to be forcing me to, it's going to be painful for me being a DC. You know, never was really good with tools or anything like that. So I said, eh, I'll consider that one. YN, no, thank you. I was good. I just didn't. Nothing against YNs, but a lot of the disposition of some of them were not really what I wanted to. I didn't want to work in an office with a bunch of YNs is what I'm trying to say. And if you're in the Coast Guard, you understand what I'm talking about. Being a cook, oh, I already, you know, I got demoted to not be a cook, so I wasn't going to do that. MST would have been my first choice, but that was a four-year wait. And with your four years in the service yeah. already, you would have been hit in higher tenure. Yeah, I, there would have been no. It just would have been pointless. I would have been like... So really, I looked at my options and I was like, well, I work in an office with a bunch of SKs right now. And these people are cool. They all seem like they're having a fun time, enjoying their job. They all have like great work-life balance. Um, I'm living in Boston and I'm making like, you know, decent BAH and all that stuff. I was like, instead of going to an A school, I mean, I, so I, I was like, you know what? I'll go storekeeper. I can't be a gunner's mate. You know, I saw, like, supply, you know, like, I thought it was kind of cool what they did when I was in the Army, and now I was in the Coast Guard. I'm like, okay, well, God's telling me I need to be in supply. For whatever reason, he's putting me on this path, so I'm just going to go ahead, and I'm going to strike Storekeeper. Okay, so, now, the Striker program, for people who don't realize, that was an old program that you could 
strike a rate and work with that rate as a non-rate. Is that correct? Yeah. So a strike. What the striker program was was um, on the job training. You were basically apprenticing a rate. So instead of like packing up your entire life and going to a school and be stuck in a classroom environment where you're just you know you have that structure you're you're in Petaluma California and you're going to class every day and doing all that stuff no instead it was you keep working and you'd work on the entire sign-off packet with like a subject matter expert in the field so it's very much a journeyman and apprentice type of relationship or like a master and apprentice type of relationship and I struck under one of the best SKAs to do it and yeah, so we would go through, we have different like sign-off, but um, like anyone else is in the Coast Guard knows like you get sign-offs for almost everything. So there was specific sign-offs for an SK-3 to do. And it took me a year to do it because I, my uh, SKC was a very, very, if I was even like a little bit off on a question, he wouldn't help me. I'd have to run off and go find it and come back. And he wouldn't like look at, look at that same question again for like another three days. He was very, very strict on it. So it took me about a year to get those sign-offs done, but after I got them done, I applied for my end-of-course test, I studied, and it was a notoriously not an easy test. I passed it my first time. So that training made you a very efficient SK for when you actually started doing Yeah, his, his harshness was, you know, of being very strict with his, you know, getting his signature actually really paid dividends because, you know, he wanted to make sure that, in his mind, he said his strikers were going to be far better than anyone coming out of Petaluma. Like, yeah, they may be SK3s, but the SNSKs that he puts out will have far more practical and rate knowledge than they could ever get in a condensed environment, like in the school. By just no, working on the job. A school. Yep. And uh, obviously I'm biased, but I tend to agree with them, which is why I think the striker program, it's a shame that it went away. Why do you think the striker program went away, if you had any guess for all these apprenticeships? Is it because I of- mean, so the striker program for SKs was kind of a debacle, to be honest. Like, um, we were... Now, I don't know if this was the root cause of it. Um, there could have been a myriad of factors, but from personal experience, like I was an SNSK and I had to wait over a year and a half to become an SK3. We were, we were, I was on a big, long striker list. It got so bad to the point where they were like, hey, listen, change your rate. So, and they said, you can, if you're on the SKA school list or you're on the SK3 striker list and you said you want to go another rate, you could, go, you could, you would move to the top of the list. So, I didn't know what else to do. The only other thing that remotely interested me was damage controlman. So I actually put my name. I was number two on the damage controlman A school list. And I was like days away from getting orders. And then I finally, I don't know who it was at the top that said this was on set. But I got called and said, hey, congratulations, Hurley. It was like a Saturday morning. It's like, hey, congratulations. You're making third on Monday. And then you just put on crows and you became a third class? Yep, and I took my name off the DCA school list and, and that solidified that I was going to stay a storekeeper. Wow, that's a really streamlined process. Well, not streamlined because it took so long. Yeah. But, uh, Someone said that that was on set and we were all making third. You just got on-the-job experience, though, yep. versus, you know, a lot of non-rates, at least on my cutter that, you know, we're on the oak, is that if your deck has a seaman, you're working deck and mm-hmm. you got to do that other stuff. Like if you want to apprentice someone, cause we have people that want to go storekeeper on board. They got to do it on their own time. Yep. And it seems like for you, they really took care of you in that striker program to get you focused on yes. storekeepers. Stuff. I was very lucky. I didn't have a deck department to keep me in the way of pursuing my career. 
if that makes any sense. Like, nothing against deck department, but if you've been in the Coast Guard, you know, BM2 and BM1 and BMC, they care about getting their projects done. Mm-hmm. You want to apprentice or start learning another rate? One, they're probably not going to like that you're not entering their world, and two, well, you got to... You got to do that on your own time. So I was very lucky that I didn't have that obstacle in front of me for sure. Right. So that allowed you to flourish more so as an SK. Yeah, I could could focus on becoming an SK rather than the projects of like a normal decky. And, you know, like I'm very grateful for that. I still don't know why, how I ended up getting that beautiful freaking, you know, unicorn billet. I think maybe it's because the whoever was putting out the order, saw that I was prior serve and was just, service was just like, well, he's already been a private once. Maybe he doesn't have to be a private again, you know, so. Right. Yeah. And so they were taking care of you maybe yep. up past your control. Yep. But. That's right, my theory. So. I have no evidence of that. Regardless just, of. If just, you, I would do that if I was there. <laughs> like if I was like the guy giving out like the orders to people from boot camp and I saw like this one guy was like a combat infantryman and blah, blah, blah. The last thing I want to do is have him have some like. 22 year old bm3 just like making his life miserable i'm like dude no i got you no that's completely yeah. understandable i mean they've already done their time yeah that and you know that's just their new hadn't done yeah. their time so we'll go through it <laughs> yep well i think what's interesting is that regardless if you're a school or striking you become an sk3 and then you get orders to transfer yep so you transferred after you struck sk yes but i transferred as an snsk so, and it was really interesting. I wanted to go to Bahrain. You know, I was just like, well, you know, I just struck. There was an SK3 position and I was going to go fill an SK3 position as an SNSK. And I was like, I put in for Bahrain and the detailer, you know, contacted me. He was like, hey, that's really awesome that you're doing that. But here's what's happening. You're going to the Coast Guard Cutter Escanaba right across the pier. <laughs> so you stayed in Boston. <laughs> I stayed in Boston. I wasn't trying to stay in Boston. I wanted to go to Bahrain, but... Was this the beginning of the D1 Mafia legend then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this, It was, wasn't like I was trying to. I just wanted, initially I went to New England just so I could spend a little time with my family. Because I had been gone for so long. That was it. I just wanted a little bit of time. And then after that, I was going to move to wherever the Coast Guard wanted me to go. I could have went to Alaska. Could have went to California. Could have went to Florida. Could have went to Georgia. Wherever I was going to go. I was very nomadic at that time. And, you know, like I was just like, cool. Wherever I, wherever I lay, you know, like Metallica, wherever, anywhere I roam, wherever I lay my head is home. Yeah, wherever that, I may roam. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much like my, was my mentality at the time. I just went back to Boston so I could spend a little time with my family. That's it. Well, I think what's cool about that yeah. is to let the viewers know is that we have what's called the D1 Mafia. So that means you do your bulk majority or if not all of your career. In the first Coast Guard District. District 1. Yep. And, and you can do it. From Maine to New York City. Yeah. It's all District 1. So anywhere in between is District 1. And people just bounce around units between cutters and shoreside units there. And they call themselves the D1 Mafia. Yeah. It's um, And that's I think that's one thing that's like really cool about the Coast Guard is geographic stability is actually a thing that's very obtainable for the most part. Like as long as if you're willing to get underway, you can at least when you're in port be in the area generally you can swing it to be in the area that you want to be. As long as you're willing to, you know, go from land to cutter, cutter to land, it may not be like exactly what you want. You know, there's nothing guaranteed in life, but you can make it work to your, make it work to your favor. If you, so like say you're from like New England, like a lot of D1 mafia people are, if you want to stay in New England, you can do it. Or if you want to stay in Florida, you can do that too. 
you want to stay in California because you're from California, you can do that by staying in those districts. You just have to be willing to every once in a while maybe take a unit where your work-life balance isn't what it was at the one you're currently at. Well, I just feel like it's a beautiful thing is that because geographic stability is important for a lot of people is that mm-hmm. if they have family and especially their spouses and their kids, you know. Or later on career area. when you buy a house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They want to keep that house. You know, you don't mm-hmm. want to sell the house. So mm-hmm. I know our engineering officer, he's kept the same house in Cranston, Rhode Island for 20 years. Which is impressive. Coast Guard. That is something you can do in D1. Yeah. You're willing to go to the billets they give yeah. you. So if you want to achieve geographic stability, you can do it with some effort and work. So yeah. just remember that. Now, go back to SK. You become yes. an SK-3 in the Escanaba. Mm. So you start your SK career as an SK-3 underway on a cutter. As an SNSK. As an SNSK. Yep. So can you walk me through what you would do normally as a SNSK slash SK-3 while you were on the cutter as an SK? So typically as the third class, um, you know, you're the entry-level SK or SNSK, you know, third class. The SNSKs don't really exist anymore. Um, you're pretty much the bottom of the shop. So, like, on a 270-foot patrol cutter, you'd have, like, an SK-1, an SK-2, and an SK-3, and a supply officer at the top of that department. Um, well, obviously, the supply officer also, you know, is in charge of the cooks and the YNs and all that stuff. But as far as SK specific, um, you're essentially, you're going to be, you do some purchasing, open market purchasing, um, quite a bit, but not as much as the SK2 does. The SK2 does a lot of the open market purchasing. As the SK3, you're you're going to be the guy who's running to shipping and receiving every day, um, checking checking up to see what packages have come in that have been ordered, um, whether it be like mill strip or open market purchased items. You're going to be the guy um, running up and down, like pulling parts from inventory. Um, you're also going to be the guy who's um, going to be counting the inventory, um, whereas like the SK2 is usually the guy who's like you know, affirming your accounts and all that stuff and double checking and making sure it's good. And then he passed it up to the SK-1 to be like for like final approval. And like the SK-1 more or less manages the shop. Like he's not purchasing as much. He's just like verifying your statements and making sure that SK-2 doesn't have too many purchases or like SK-3 doesn't have too many purchases that you're doing the right amount. So the SK-1 kind of like manages everything. The SK-2 is like your direct supervisor and you're basically, you know, you do the grunt work for the shop. Like as an SNSK, I was also out there handling lines or in special C details and all that stuff. So I would do like the work of a seaman sometimes, but also, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have to like paint or do anything like that. But during special C, I was out there with deck force, like handling lines because I was still a seaman. Right. So that yeah. stereotypical photo of the SK holding the boxes yep. and shipping and actually shipping the stuff. SK3. That's SK3. SK3 stuff. Yep. Okay, and you get more into office work as you work your way up mm-hmm. the ladder of the SK, it's, it, right? It's all office work. Everyone's like, everyone's responsible for their purchase card and all that stuff and all documentation that comes with it from the SNSK to a supply officer. So one thing I will say about the SK rating is it's actually a lot of responsibilities put at you on the very beginning. I mean, you're dealing with government funds day in and day out. You have, you know, we have a credit card where you're spending thousands upon thousands of the taxpayers you know, money. And that's a, that's an awesome responsibility. And I don't mean awesome in the term of like, Oh God, that's so cool. I mean, I guess, I guess it's cool, but awesome in the amount of like, that's a lot of responsibility and you can be held accountable if you don't do your job properly, even as an SNSK, 
Right, to put in such a young service member who's just coming out of A school, like to have that responsibility, that just shows how much responsibility the Coast Guard puts on its members. And as you're starting as an SK3, you know, like you said, you're doing a lot more of the inventory counts and the work like that. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's a good foundation for when you're an SK2 to understand what the SK3 is going through? Yes, 110%. So you know what you're purchasing, know how that all works, the inventory counts. Yeah, there are certain. Things really vary throughout. Like if you're if you're working at a base, the job between an SK three and SK two are pretty much exactly the same. On a cutter, it's a little different, um, but yeah, SK like you're mainly just purchasing as an SK two and an SK three, and um, on a at on a shore side unit where SK one you're just managing the purchasing teams. Um, but yeah, no, all the stuff you do as an SK three helps you out as an SK two, and everything you do as an SK two you know, will help you when you make SK-1 and ascending order. Right, so it's like a pyramid. You're building yeah. your foundation, building your way up that pyramid Yep. to becoming uh, eventually like a supply manager. Exactly, yeah, and that's like our big... I mean, if I can like tell, tell people what the SK rate really is, um, it's, it's a combination of supply manager a shipment manager, and an accountant all rolled up into one. And also, federal procurement law. A little spice of that as well. That's the combination of our rating. Like, you need to understand what you can do in certain situations and what you can't do in certain situations, what dollar thresholds you're allowed to for certain ones, or if you need to kick it up to people that have higher authority than you. I can't just take my credit card and go willy-nilly and buy everything that I want for the boat. It doesn't work like that. Well, I'll say this in the business world is in this transition to civilian roles post Coast Guard or military. Oh, yeah. Is that they always told us in business school is that logistics is the missing key component and they crave having people that have logistics experience in any industry. And so to have that experience as an SK where you're the logistics people of the Coast mm-hmm. Guard. How does that transition into all the possibilities in civilian society? Well, I remember at my first unit at Base Boston when I was striking, it, there was a sign going into the office, and it said the cornerstone of every entity is a good finance and logistics section. And that's true. Microsoft doesn't exist without finance and logistics. You have a, a container that says Thule on it you know, or for your laptop right now. That company doesn't exist without logistics. Like, people need a logistics manager. They need a good finance and accounting. Um, and people that understand the inner workings of and the stipulations that come with, you know, being responsible for spending money. And storekeeper, storekeeper sets you up for all those because that's what your whole career is. Like, you can work for any government entity. You can work for any private entity. I guarantee you. They're going to need someone that has experience in logistics. Well, do you find that to be the case with the Coast Guard is these uh, wait lists that have longer mm-hmm. rates yeah. traditionally, do they set you up better for civilian jobs or is that really where the tra- that transition is? Because we're all setting ourselves up for post-military career. Yeah, and whether you decide to do 20 years or four years, um, it's a young man's game. There's a whole lot of life to live after you're done with the Coast Guard. Um and with that comes, you know, I think the smarter decision is to set yourself up for something that will get you paid on the outside world. Or has some, like, transition, like a broad, either a broad translation to the civilian world 
or a very narrow one that'll pay you well. Which is why like rates like like AMT or AET I think are fantastic because there's not a lot of aviation electronics technicians or aviation mechanics out in this world. So by the exclusivity of that alone, you're always going to have a job and you're probably going to get paid well. But the civilians don't have to pay for your training because you and come so, with yep, 20 years of training. Because you've got 20 years of being an aircraft mechanic. You are always going to, your family's not going to be wanting for food on the table because that's something very specific. Or you could go a rate like Storykeeper, which is very broad, but every company in the world needs the services and the skills of storekeepers whether you want to be into accounting or whether you are just a person working on shipping and receiving organizing you know x amount of shipments taking inventory or whether you're the guy negotiating contracts because that's also something within my rate well i think that's one of the coolest things that you deal a lot with the community yep uh, i see you get a lot of phone calls from different contractors civilian contractors. sks have one of the highest yeah. verbal scores from your asvab of any rate in the Coast Guard. Mm-hmm. I think it's PAs and SKs have extremely high verbal scores. Because rates like PAs, SKs, MSCs, they all deal with the community and well, yes. a lot more than a lot of other rates that deal yep. with inter-Coast Guard. And I think that the whole aspect of dealing with the community, you know, if you're a people person, SK is a great rate to go because you're dealing with the community and it really sets you up afterwards for transitioning to civilian society that you're not just all engrossed in the military either yep. is that... You're dealing with military people and civilian personnel all roped up into one because the government has a lot of contracts that they do. Yep. You definitely, uh, when you created your character to be on your life, make sure you put points into uh, charisma because you need them powers of persuasion because you are just negotiating and discussing prices, changing things all the time. I There'll be times where I'm like, hey, listen, my, my, doc, you know, my purchase threshold is this, but you're trying to charge me like X amount in shipping. I'm like... I can't go over that. So either you meet this $9,990 you know, PR, or which stands for purchase request, or you can charge me all that for shipping and it puts it over 10 k and I can take my money and find another vendor that will. Like I do that on a daily basis. That's, that's like negotiating like a yeah. car. It's just practical yeah. life skills. So it's like, it's like okay, it. if you don't meet this, I'll walk. And, I'm, and I, you know, I work for the federal government, so... Someone else will gladly adjust the prices. And they want that contract, so you have a yeah. lot of sway. Yeah. Now, does your job change much between ship and shoreside unit? Or Oh, oh yeah, greatly. I mean, it, it's... So, the core work of it, as in a storekeeper, does not actually change. You're procuring, you're packaging, you're negotiating, you're keeping counts of inventory. Like keeping accounts of budgets like you're you're doing all those things usually no matter where you're at now if you go underway on a cutter then things get a little bit more complicated because by alone being on the cutter is a whole nother job of in and of itself because you have other responsibilities trainings damage control um, qualifications you have like in my case, I stand quartermaster of the watch. I'm one of the few. It's one of the few boats where that's required of the storekeeper, but that's a whole job in and of itself. Like underway, I'm more, I'm more of a navigation division bosun mate than anything else. Right with all the QMO stuff you have to do with standing yeah. the watches every day, and especially during Aton trips or your aid position yeah. air plotter, like you're yeah. go to Aton school. Yeah, as <laughs> an SK, do you see many SKs at aid positioner school? I know I was the only one when I went through. <laughs> So, and then that adds another complication to your job because, like, 
by me, like, I mean, I'm an independent duty storekeeper on a, you know, 225 foot buoy tender. And when it comes down to it, like I have to balance multiple full-time jobs, really. Because they least still expect two. you as independent duty to handle all the SK needs yes. in addition to your watches that everyone else stands. And then, you know, they might not have anything after the watch. Yep. And I have to try to find time to work. And, you know, that comes in like the struggles, like what, where we're at in the world. Do I have reliable internet connectivity? At the end of the day, though, all that matters is results. I have to find a way to make it happen. Right. So to touch on that, where we are in the world, we recently went on an Operation Argus Greenland trip. Awesome. How would you sum up that trip? Because, you know, as we talked about, many SKs don't get the opportunity to go underway to begin with. Mm -hmm. Did you ever think you'd have the opportunity to go to Greenland? Not in my wildest dreams um, did I ever think that would happen. I have to say it's one of my fondest memories. I mean, I, you know, I really, at this point in my life, you know, you know I'm in my mid-30s and you know, I'm at the point where, you know, I'm finally settling down. I found a woman that I love dearly. You know, we got a dog, two cats, a betta fish. <laughs> like, and I just, you know, I, I want to spend more time home. But this trip, man, once in a lifetime, had to do it. To have the opportunity to go, we went to St. John's, Newfoundland, Sissimia, Greenland, Nook, Greenland, Wild. the Arctic Circle. You became a blue nose and a permanent cutterman on the trip. Yeah, not going to lie, it's probably my favorite patrol I've ever had. And I've been all <laughs> over the place, Honduras, Dominican Republic, Panama, Mexico, off the coast of Haiti. You know, I, you know I've done, you know, I've got my Spanish man, I got my order of the ditch. I've been many on many southern patrols. It all tends to be a lot of the same thing, right? Hot weather, rum punches on the beach, which is cool, which is fun. But not many coasties got a chance to go north of the Arctic Circle to Greenland and experience, like, the awesome combination of Scandinavian and, like, Inuit culture. Like, the amalgamation of those two cultures that is Greenland. Right, because Greenland's owned by Denmark. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's um, not, not too different from like the way uh, territory is in the United States, um, where like yes, it's nominally it has its own parliament, which for people don't know what a parliament is, it's kind of like a congress, but it has far more power. Um, and so like you know, it has its own parliament. Um, it's it's mainly home ruled, but you know, at the same time, if you join the army in Greenland, you're joining the Danish army, like the the Danish armed forces, you know, as like, you know, the guy that was one of the people that we were speaking to, um, he says they're charged with protecting the serenity of Greenland, which basically means they're in charge of the defense of Greenland. Um, so it's very much Denmark still. Well, that um, plays key into like the whole world right now with the Arctic opening, the Northwest Passage, you yep. know, is that many more shipping traffic lanes are going to be opening in the Arctic Circle. Mm -hmm. So just that increased presence of doing these joint operations in the Arctic, do you think there's like a bigger goal of the Coast Guard as to why we're going up there? Oh, 110%. I mean, you got to remember 90% of the world's commerce flows through the ocean. I mean, everything by flight or by car is just minuscule. Everything goes through through the ocean and the Northwest Passage just, you know, actually existing because of, you know, climate change, whether, now whether a lot of it is man-made or it's also like the natural, like changing of Earth's temperature, probably a combination of both, is it opens up opportunity for that shipping. A shortcut, 
means saving time on resources. And that means affecting profits. And that means affecting, you know, the economic health of nations. And I think the United States would be foolhardy to not go at that full right. bore. Just because of the way the globe is shaped, it's such a shorter distance to travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Between going through Panama Canal and going all around mm-hmm. like the, the Americas, just to cut across that Northwest Passageway would save so much logistical shipping time. Yep. All very important to the SK world as yep. you get transition to civilian life. Yep. Time-wise, profits. Yeah. Anything. is just so much more efficient. So the SK and you sees just the, all the benefits. Oh, I see the, I see the future of the United States, and you know, and specifically, you know, of the Coast Guard because I think we are by far the. If there's any armed force that the Arctic was going to be their realm, it would be the United States Coast Guard. We have ice breaking capabilities, and we have the search and rescue capabilities to go with it. And I think, given recent events, and you know, the world being what it is. International competitors are also staring at the Arctic, and but this is Western Hemisphere, and you know, consistent with like the Monroe Doctrine, well, that Northwest Passage needs to be protected for the uh, the inhabitants of North America, of course, with cooperation with our um, NATO allies, which I believe you know, you know, was one of the main purposes of you know Exercise Argus is to show that hey, we're serious about our presence in the arctic and that's why it's important like that we i feel like this was the most important patrol i've done in my life because of the the posture of where the coast guard is going and rightfully where it should be going well they you know they're in the process of building more national uh polar ice cutters in the upcoming years more red hulls good and there's so few nations that have stake and claim into the arctic that greenland is a very important nation very important having good ties and relations with them and i think it would be smart of the coast guard you know obviously this is me just a deck plate person i'm not you know an admiral making decisions but i think even i have the basic you know powers of perception to see that there's value in demonstrating ourselves to the peoples of greenland and the kingdom of denmark of cooperation and maybe having coast guard assets in that area because we have the capability to assist them in ice breaking assist them in search and rescue, which will help facilitate commerce for them and for us as well. So... The Ant Sissimiate will become a thing? Aids Navigation Team? Oh. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised one day if there's a sector nook, but I'm just thinking way ahead. I mean, there's a lot that has to go with it. You need a status of forces agreement. You know, the United States, you know, we have bases all over the world. I think we, we already have them in Greenland already. I think a Coast Guard one would benefit... The people of Greenland, the people of Denmark, and the people of America all mutually beneficial. I think it's a great deal for everyone involved and also, you know, acts as a deterrence to, uh, you know, potential near-peer adversaries that might have designs on the Arctic as well. Right. There's so many, you know, factors at play and so many resources untapped yes. in that Arctic region. I mean, I'm a rock collector. Yes, <laughs> you are. I got a bunch of rocks. You got some rocks in Greenland. I did, yes. So... You've even seen just from those gemstones that it's a very unique environment that there's so many humans love resources. shiny things, and where shiny things are, soon come armies. Right? It's a, <laughs> it's definitely a good idea to posture ourselves as a nation and as a service to the Arctic. Right, and so I think that patrol is like very sudden. And I know you didn't do a lot of SK stuff on there, but <laughs> you were 
We'll call you a TDY bosun's mate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what you Spent did. a lot of time as a navigation evaluator working with the conning officer uh, during the search and rescue um, exercises, just helping them drive the ship and making sure, hey, we don't hit this, you know, bergy boy. And that was what we were calling the little tiny icebergs that were floating around. Like Such unique opportunities though, yeah. for a storekeeper. Like, I'm sure you never knew when you struck storekeeper that you'd be doing that. Like doing bm stuff in the arctic <laughs> i have one of the most demanding jobs objectively in my rate when you look at like everything that i have on board um like the hats that i have to wear but i also have probably one of the coolest being an independent storekeeper yeah it's very much unique and that's very like buoy tenders all have that like opportunity and it's a very unique opportunity so uh, independence means that there's no one else in your department for say with your same rate. So he's the only storekeeper on board Coast Guard Cutter Oak. And I think that leads to just such a cool opportunity to really shine in your rate. But at the same time, you're saying service wide, it's a little bit harder to study for. So Yeah, and we we've um we've been dealing with like, you know, some difficulties, um um, transition to a new financial system and we you know we're still experiencing a lot of growing pains now there's been you know solutions at big coast guard that are beyond my uh level that they're trying to you know mitigate with but me personally on a deck plate level i had to focus on dealing with the frustrations of, of that new um financial mm-hmm. system and trying to get smart on it and instruct the crew on it and it's just it was wild because, you know, I had to focus on that and have to focus on, you know, my full job, independent duty, the watches I had to stand and then try to find time to like study and also be, you know, a good fiance and, you know, a dog dad. Like it's, um, you got a lot of responsibilities in your hands. You still got to find time to like, you know, decompress. What do you like to do in your off time to decompress? And, oh man. Stay grounded. What what grounds you and keeps you sane? Oh, <laughs> your responsibilities. I mean, seeing my fiance smiling when she comes home. Yeah, at the end of the day, that that's that's pretty that's pretty awesome. Seeing my seeing my dog run to the front door, just excited as she is. Like the first time she saw me, like jumping on me every day. Man, that's that's pretty great. You know, kung fu fighting her and all that stuff, and having a little snuggle sesh afterwards. I really like that. Um... Spending time with yeah, spending time with my little, with my little fur family that we have, and hopefully we'll be starting an actual family soon. Like that's that that that's what really keeps me going. Um, as far as hobbies, I mean, another distraction from you know doing as well in service wise as I probably should have was Elden Ring came out. <laughs> oh dear God, Elden Ring came out, and I went so hard, and I still go hard in it. And of course, that introduced me to the entire Dark Souls franchise, and that's just a whole entire rabbit hole. But I've been really enjoying it. I've been a gamer my whole life, especially fantasy games. I I like, or shooting games, you know. um. That's good to decompress. Coast Guard just came out with the eSports team. So they have a Discord channel and everything that they play eSports. Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. They got second place at the eSports competition recently. I like to work out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's been busy lately. I don't think I've been doing as much as I should have. But, you know, I recently joined a, a gym again. And I'm trying to, I'm getting, you know, like if we got a wedding coming up in February and I want to look good, but also I want to feel good. And, you know, I want, you know, my soon to be wife, you know, to have her husband around for a very long time. So I've been taking my health a little bit more seriously. I find that, you know, one of the true like pleasures in life is that, um, I, you know, as mentioned before in the previous, um, episode, I come from like a long line of riflemen. So I'm a 
avid firearms enthusiast and owner, and I'm very proud of that. So I like to, I also believe that it's a, it's more than just a hobby. It's, um, it's a, it's a way of life and it's a responsibility for every American to be responsible with their firearms and be proficient with them. And I, you know, try to make sure I get to the range at least once or twice a month to work on my accuracy because it's a perishable skill, work on my muscle memory and all that stuff. Um, it just makes me happy. And usually the worse the weather is, the more fun I have with it. Like if it's, I went shooting in the winter, blizzard, snowstorm, because I'm a member of an outdoor club. No one else in the right mind would have been there, but man, me, it reminded me of training in Hohenfels and Grafenweir in Germany, and I was just happier than a pig in you-know-what. And your AK-47s that you own work perfectly fine. They did, yes, actually. They absolutely did. Those are good, great firearms. They are great (laughs) firearms, especially for, for, for winter operations, but yes, yes, I mean... If I was the head of NATO, we'd be running around with like Polish burials or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, it's a uh, it's good. That's like one of I wanted to be a gunner's mate. So clearly, like it's just one of my biggest passions, and I definitely definitely partake. Love a good glass of whiskey as we're drinking right now. Cheers again. And yes, very much. It's very I love reading. Um, love listening to podcasts. Um, I know we're on a podcast right now. I love things that challenge my way of thinking but also make me think of things that I never thought before. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like I like interesting. I don't think we should shy away from, like, controversial things, but, like, also take the emotion out and approach things objectively. So I, I prefer podcasts that, like, take me down that weird rabbit hole. Like, Lex Fridman could listen to that dude all day. Well, I'd say what's so good about his podcast is, too, is that, like, he doesn't come at it as, like, a biased view. Yeah, he's very, very objective. Takes it objectively. Almost like, almost like a, It allows you to critical think for yourself. Yeah. The way that you want to think versus like trying to push you to think a certain way. Yeah. And I feel like just that critical thinking is a very good life skill. Yeah. And coupled with all these hobbies that you're saying is that it's a very nice work-life balance. And yes, yes. That's especially, you know, any job or career, but I would say... Especially within the military with what's demanded of us when we are on the job is that having that balance keeps us grounded. Yes, absolutely. People should not think that just because you're in the military, you can't have a life. I mean, in the Army, it was a little bit harder, but I still had a life. But in the Coast Guard, even now, I'm like, I would consider I'm like in a position where like, you know, you know, work encompasses a lot of my life. But I still would say I have a decent work life balance. I mean, I'm able to pursue things I love, I'm able to pursue hobbies. Am I able to take as much leave as I like? No, but that's the nature of an independent duty position. Like I just need to be around. I have to find times to get my own, get my own relaxation. And I just, it may not be for as sustained periods of time as other people do because I am my own department. Correct. So if I'm gone for too long, then that's a huge detriment to the ship. So I just have to, you know, keep that in mind, but also make sure that I take care of myself and, my loved ones. Right. But what's cool about that too, is that if you can't end up using that leave, they pay you back. Yeah. And you know, in the end of your career, after you, you know, take that paid leave, you were to buy an engagement ring with that, mm-hmm. you know, leave pay. Yeah. So it can really help you out later in life. It can. In those yeah. situations. And then you also have that banked up so that you can use it at the end of your career all at once. Yeah. You can. If you want. Because. You can just take a terminal leave and you're, you're still getting paid. Um, I, I will say that, like, 
you're it, it'd be, you'd be hard pressed to find a better deal than the United States Coast Guard. Honestly, like I know I'm biased and all that stuff, and the U.S. military is a great deal. Um, the Coast Guard, I think, is the sweetest deal out of all the branches when it comes to experiences, camaraderie, the nature of the mission. If you're more into like a service that's more dedicated to saving lives and taking them, Coast Guard, be right up your alley. Um, and then at the end of the day, at 20 years, you serve honorably, put in for your retirement, and you get your pension. Or you want to go longer, that's fine. Whatever disability you want to have. There's very few jobs that will pay for your housing, pay for your health care, and pay for your school. It's ridiculous. Or pay for a trade. If you want. And give you the experience that employers look for. Because yep. so many employers, they're like, they look at these college graduates and say, what experience do you have? But you being in the Coast Guard all these years, you can go to them and say, I have the degree that this college graduate has. And I have at least 20 years experience. Yep. Meanwhile, you in your back pocket, you have this pension that you've earned. If you, and if you join and if you join at 17 like I initially did, I, I could have retired at 38 if I went active the whole way through. I could be retiring in two years if I had stayed active the entire time. Wild. Absolutely wild. Like, you have a whole life to live after that. Even with the break, I'm retiring at 41. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the importance about that is just like, you know, at 41, you can have a whole nother career. Yeah. And you have the stability that will be coming in the rest of your life. And that pension is adjusted for inflation. Yes. So it's not like it's losing value every year like the U.S. dollar. Which, and then, of course, the way, you know, personal he, silver stacker. <laughs> I'm not surprised at all, friend. But also, like, you, I think like there's also disability, which can go ahead and like enhance you even more. And I guess the, I guess the whole goal is to like work a job, but work a job that you want to work. Right, you know as long I mean? as you're After having you're fun done. with it. That's what Chief you know Murdoch always told me. He's <laughs> like, the first thing I asked him was, what made you stay in for 20 years, Chief? And he said, you know what? I had fun with it. And I'm still having fun. That's why I'm staying in longer than 20 years. He's going to Hawaii. <laughs> Honestly, I actually um, echo Chief Murdoch's um, sentiment. You know, he says, we have fun here. I agree. Like, the Coast Guard, and my, or my military career in general, has been an absolute all-time banger. It really has. Um... I don't regret a second of it, and I wish more people could experience all facets of it. Well, I get people it. People you go. meet, the experiences you have, the benefits, all of it. It's a life worth lived, for sure. High schools, they the guidance counselors push you so much towards college, college, college. But I'd like just to be able to go and talk to high schoolers, or at least have them, you know, I know a lot of high schoolers aren't probably listening to this, but yeah. we do have some yeah. that are interested. Tell your friends the opportunities that you can possibly await because you can go to college when you're already serving in the military. And this is not a hard job or a bad job. It, it's a demanding job, but, but you can do it. It gives you great life skills. And, and of course, I would say, like, the, the, the number one thing is, like, the military is not selling you crippling debt. These. These companies that are giving you loans or these guidance counselors that are saying, oh, hey, go to a four-year degree. doesn't matter what it is. Just get a four-year degree in anything are, you know, are hamstrung, are hamstringing you for like an idealistic view that isn't, isn't realistic in the world. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, a bachelor's degree has been turned into the, you know, the new high school diploma. Like the new standard, the new standard. So if you're, if everything is at the base level, then, you know. Natural law says the next level is going to be what was previous. You know what I mean. So now, if everyone has a bachelor's degree, everyone's going to want people that have masters because employers want 
the most qualified for their jobs. You just it's all about selling yourself. So you're finding like whole generations of people like you know, especially my generation, we were we were told that oh, you have to go you have to go to a four, get your four year degree. It doesn't matter what it is, and at the same time, take on crippling debt at eighteen years old. The what the military is offering you is a paycheck, benefits, and no debt. Well, I'll say for people in my shoes that went to college before and do have that debt, yep. they also still have the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Act, which yep. after ten years of service, uh, they'll forgive all your student loans and debt. So. You're not out of the running if you already went to college. You still consider joining the military. I did it, and I think it's a great career choice. Yeah. And in return, you get to serve your nation. Seems like a good deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and as they take care of you. They really do. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade this career for anything. So I guess I'll end this podcast. I don't want to end it because you have so much great advice. I'd like to <laughs> keep going on, but I know... Maybe maybe we can you do an episode three later later down the episode road before three I transfer. Down the pipe. Yeah, uh, before I transfer, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, um, so for last minute advice, mm. if I'm interested in storekeeper or joining the Coast Guard in general, mm. what advice do you have for me as the listener? My advice um, would be think about what you want to. Look back on your life when you're like, by the time you're 50. And when you think about like your young years, like what did you do with it? What did you, what did you experience? What did you give? What was given back to you? And if your answer is you want to feel you had a varied experience where every day wasn't the same, wasn't monotonous, and you wanted to have an experience where you were set up with a life that you could live comfortably and also with pride then the coast guard is a no-brainer it's probably the best decision i've ever made and it will be the best decision you've ever made especially if you come from like i come from i came from like a low-income you know family salt of the earth didn't have much but we're proud people and the military lets you maintain that pride but also it gives you that ticket straight into the American middle class. And, well, that's awesome. And I think you should do it. Right, because it's getting harder and harder to become a middle class citizen. So yes. I feel like the military is something that's very overlooked in general. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not many people know about the Coast Guard. and it's, it, it, it's, it's the best hidden secret. It really is. I mean, I know where this... Well, I think maybe the Space Force is smaller than us. By the way, I'm very pro-Space Force, but that's a whole other subject. But I know people think it's a meme, but I think it's smart. Um, but, like, we, we definitely have the smallest budget. But you know what? You get paid the same amount as anyone else does. Because by Congressional Act, we are full-time military, the same as the Navy, same as the Air Force, same as the Army, same as the Marines. We are entitled to the same pay and benefits. But, man, do we have cooler places to be stationed. Yeah, and, you know, if you're interested in being deployed, you're 99.9% likely to stay in the U.S. unless you volunteer to go to Bahrain. And your deployments are going to be very different than other services. We're very very unique mission. You know, uh, you know we're a very purpose-built service. And I think you'll like it. I recommend it. If God ever blesses us with kids, I'd like to... They were decided, hey, Dad, I want to go into the army. I'd be like, no, I'm gonna take you over to this Coast Guard recruiter, though. I think that's great advice. Mm-hmm. Nothing against like we said the other services. No, I've been in too. 
Hmm. You know, just, I really do feel like the Coast Guard, just the mission itself of being a service first. Yeah. Serving the public. Yeah, it's very unique. They We get calls on our radio, you know, the Channel 16 VHF. Yep. Every time we're underway. And, you know, on small boats, we'll handle them before we can. Yep. We're slower. Yep. But... And we're the Coast Guard. Like, our, our missions are very, you know, country-oriented, right? You know, it's in the name, the Coast Guard. Our main mission is, you know, for America, not really going abroad. And, I mean, obviously, other services going abroad is also for America as well. But if you're interested in a service almost 100% purely focused on the homeland, the Coast Guard is for you. All the way up to Hamilton. Yep. I'm very happy. But, well, thank you very much, SK2, for coming on. For a second episode. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Not I, I love talking to you. Um, yeah. You provide Likewise. great insight and having your historian background and interest uh, really adds a lot of context to give purpose as to what we're doing. It's yeah. like relate to the operation Argus and stuff. So it's uh, very nice to have that perspective on here. And the United States and the Coast Guard doesn't do anything by accident. That's all I'm saying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Full send, exactly. Yeah. And We've had a couple of glasses of whiskey, so yeah. I'm very happy that uh, you had some good selections. But um, again, thank you very much for coming on, mm-hmm. and we hope to have you on again at some point because you are very much a treasure to talk to and have a very well-versed background and experience. Oh, well, thank but you, my friend. I really I appreciate that. I think the viewers that. will very appreciate getting to hear from you. I hope so, and so. Uh, we'll have to knock that out, brother. Thank you for, thanks for having me on. Yes. Um, all right. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, SK2, he did a great two-part episode, but I'm really happy that we had the opportunity to talk to him. And as I said earlier in the last few episodes, I want to try to get more of these interviews done because the members are what make the service what it is. And having the opportunity to talk to people like SK2 just highlights that. So I really appreciate you all turning in for this one. And I hope to hear you in future episodes when I have more interviews coming up. So thank you very much and have a great day.